0: Good morning. morning. It is good to see you and wonderful to have you with us for worship today in our historic chapel. Uh, A special welcome to our fathers and our dads and and those who have been like dads to us throughout our lives uh, and to others on on this Father's Day. Today, we continue our our summer series, Grown-Up Vacation Bible School, so very appropriate we're commissioning our VBS leaders. Uh, So each week, we're exploring a favorite childhood story of the Bible in hopes of coming away from it with a grown-up understanding of the text. So far, we've covered the story of Noah and the flood, and then last week, we heard the story of Abraham and Sarah. So today, appropriately for Father's Day, we move ahead to the end of Genesis to hear the story of Father Abraham's great-grandsons, Joseph and his 11 brothers. It's a story that reminds us that if we think that we've had some bad sibling rivalries growing up, (laughs) at least we didn't have it this bad. In our first lesson, we met Joseph, and we learned that he was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, because he was a son of his old age. Now, usually, it was the oldest son that received the preferential treatment, but not with Jacob. After all, he was the younger brother from his twin, Esau, and tricked Esau uh, and his father, Jacob, out of Esau's birthright and blessing. It's appropriate that the name Jacob literally means heel grabber in Hebrew, which is essentially slang for a trickster. His son's name, uh, Joseph, however, means he increases, which is telling of his story and his rise and success not only within his family line, but in the house of Pharaoh as well. Jacob loves Joseph more than the other brothers, and that's with the possible exception of the baby of the family, Benjamin, as they are both the sons of his favorite wife, Rachel. Jacob gives Joseph an ornate robe with long sleeves, or as the popular understanding of the story goes uh, in the, the Broadway musical, a coat of many colors. You may have noticed in uh, our first reading today that the NRSV doesn't mention colors here at all because the many colors description is something that's added in the later Greek Old Testament. It's known as the Septuagint, whereas the original Hebrew text emphasizes the length of the coat, a coat that covers the arms. Either way, friends, what you're supposed to get is that this is a real nice coat. A real nice coat, and the kind of coat that you could understand why the, jealous, uh, why the brothers are jealous over it. Because it's a visible reminder whenever they see it that Joseph is their father's favorite. But their anger and their jealousy for their brother grows even deeper after Joseph describes his two dreams to them. In which they all, including his own father and mother, bow down to him. So they plot to get rid of him. While out in the field, the brothers throw him into a pit and later sell him into slavery. The story goes on to show Joseph's arrival in Egypt. He serves a high-ranking official of Pharaoh named Potiphar, but Joseph is later thrown in prison after Potiphar's wife improperly accuses him of coming onto her. In jail, our beloved dreamer finds a way to be helpful to Pharaoh by interpreting other people's dreams and successfully uh, predicting a severe famine throughout the region. Because of Joseph, the Egyptians are able to store up enough grain to survive. So like his name suggests, Joseph increases in power, becoming essentially Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt. But also at this time, Joseph's family in Canaan begin to starve from the famine. So his brothers go down to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Genesis tells us that the brothers fall at Joseph's feet to pay him homage, but they don't recognize him quite yet, thus fulfilling Joseph's original dream. After Joseph essentially messes with his brothers for a while, because he basically does what any good brother would do who has been wronged, Joseph decides to reveal himself to them to reconcile, that they might reconcile and that he might be reunited with his father. Our reading begins at this crucial moment. And I again, uh, like in the previous weeks, encourage you to find your pew Bible uh, and follow along with me throughout the story, because we'll be looking at two passages spanning a few chapters of the story uh, that we might finish the, the saga of Joseph I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 45th chapter of Genesis, beginning with the first verse. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, But God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Let's stop here for just a moment. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he reassures them that through this crazy sequence of events, God's plan has been at work, bringing them all to Egypt that their family might survive and thrive for generations to come. So following this reading, Joseph's brothers return to their father uh, and to bring their father and the rest of their family back with them to Egypt. We see this idea, this theme brought to fruition in our second passage as Joseph's brothers seek his forgiveness following their father's death. Let's turn now to Genesis 50, starting with the 15th verse. Take a second to turn there. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave us this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the brothers worry that the only reason Joseph hasn't sought retribution yet was because of their father. Now that he has died, surely they think that Joseph will now act harshly, get their revenge So they go to him and make up an instruction from their father, begging Joseph to forgive his brothers. They fall at their younger brother's knees at his feet in remorse, and Joseph weeps along with them. Here we see one of the most beautiful stories of forgiveness and reconciliation in all of Scripture. Rather than act shrewdly toward his brothers, he speaks a word of comfort and reassurance to them. He says, Do not be afraid. Though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. This is probably the most memorable line of the whole Joseph story, perhaps the entire book of Genesis as well. It's a beautiful line of forgiveness, an act that opens the door for reconciliation with his brothers and their family. But it's also a very rich line theologically. That in many ways I think sums up the entire Joseph story. The key word here is intend. That the NRSV translates as intend, and the Hebrew word for intend here is chashav, and it can be understood as describing intention. But scholar Walter Brueggemann makes a case that the word that this word chashav is better understood as plan. And here's where it gets theological. The plan of Joseph's brothers was for harm. The Hebrew here actually says evil, ra'ah. Their plans were for evil, but God's plans were for good. The reality of sin and human brokenness is that our plans are always affected by evil, ra'ah. Whether it is of jealousy like Joseph's brothers, or of greed, or of hatred, or prejudice, or idolatry, Joseph's brothers were so entrenched in their plan to harm Joseph that they were unable to see a new plan springing forth. That plan springing forth is the plan of God. The plan, Joseph says, is the plan for good. God's good plan is always one of life, of community, of reconciliation. God's good plan is one that is intent on bringing folks together, Bringing together folks who are estranged from one another. Bringing folks together who hate one another. God's good plan is set on turning walls into bridges and ensuring everyone has the basic necessities for life. When our own biases take over, we can become like Joseph's brothers. We, come, we become so entrenched in our own plans, our own agendas, our own biases, that we are unable to envision God's plan for good. Or even worse, friends, we extrapolate our own plans, our own agendas for ill, and call them God's plans. Joseph's memorable line here is more than just a reflection on a story. It's an overarching theological statement. A statement proclaiming that our human plans for ill cannot and will not ultimately overcome God's plan for good. Our biases, our agenda, our sins, our brokenness is no match for God's will for good, for life, for love, for peace. When our plans don't bring others these things, we can be sure that they are at odds with God's good plan. As Christians, we, of course, believe that this good plan of God has been made most evident in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem this broken world, to save us from our own plans for ill. This theological statement from Joseph is later echoed in what the Apostle Paul will later say in his letter to the Romans. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. On this note, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said so beautifully in the midst of the civil rights movement that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. God's good plan for life, for community, for reconciliation, for all, will ultimately triumph. It will triumph over any human plan for ill, It will transcend and overcome our own biases, agendas, and sin. In the meantime, we are called to seek out this good plan, to challenge the brokenness of our society and world, reconciling with our neighbors, and seeking to bring life and joy to those who need it. A few weeks ago, I received a request, as did the pastors of every congregation in the Presbyterian Church USA. Our General Assembly, our our highest uh, gathering of of the denomination, began last night in St. Louis, where commissioners from across the denomination, including uh, folks we elected from our own presbytery, gather together to discern the mind of Christ and seek to make decisions about our denomination. Every General Assembly is steeped in worship, and each assembly uh, has a hymn that's commissioned, that's written for it. That provides an overview of the theme. This year is different in that the denomination has asked each congregation to join in singing the commissioned hymn for the assembly. The hymn's title is Draw the Welcome Circle Wider by Mary Louise Springle. This hymn highlights the overall theme of the assembly this year renewing the vision kingdom building for the 21st century not not kingdom building but kingdom building for the 21st century when i read through the text of the hymn this week i was reminded of god's good plan god's plan for good that we see joseph share with his brothers written in a way that i think allows us to discern and enter into this plan together God's intention and will for reconciliation and peace and community to be shared among the whole human family. It's a divine plan for good that no human evil or will for harm can ultimately stop. So friends, I invite us to join in this hymn with Presbyterians throughout the country. And to be clear, we're all in the same boat here as this is an unfamiliar hymn to everyone. (laughs) So in other words, none of us have the excuse of, well, I don't know that one, but I promise it's at least to a familiar tune. And as we sing, friends, may we be reminded of God's plan, of God's intention for good. This good plan that Joseph, the dreamer, shares with his brothers. This good plan of God of breaking down the barriers that divide us. That our tables might be extended, our hearts opened, and our excitement renewed for what God is doing here in our midst. And friends, as we sing, may we experience God's plan for good. That we might serve Christ together and share his love. God's good plan with the whole world. Amen.